The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks, I am just finally getting settled back in. I've done a couple of shows since the baby was born. Uh, I want to share some personal information with you this evening, folks, and this is going to be my wife and I's birth plan. And how to overcome adversity and how to get yourself ready to be your own advocate in this wild and crazy world that we live in in today. So as you know, we were reading from the book Birth Without Violence. I am going to try to finish that up either tonight or in the next episode. Uh, In between there, we got the episode 88 out with Wide Awake Jim. You should check that out, folks. Lots of charts, lots of graphs. We are working through the climate hustle, and we are getting uh, to the point in which we're going to show you how these guys are using the climate hustle to move forward with universal basic income and central bank digital currency, which will be tied to a carbon credit-based system. Obviously, you guys have probably been following this whole crypto catastrophe that's going on that ties into it as well obviously every single thing going on around this world does not have a singular purpose nor does just one event cause any of these uh rollouts of the new programs like cbdc they have multiple events going on each of these touch different groups of people and then they're able to force the adoption through various personalized choose your own adventure feedback loop echo chambers which we've covered here on this show so we'll eventually get back into that stuff uh i'm doing an ongoing series with wide awake jim and we're going to be covering this over the next few weeks And then Jim and I are going to do a solutions-based show, how to overcome this stuff in your life. I'm going to see if we can get Mike Moore involved uh, and Maria Albanese and maybe do a four-person panel discussion, maybe a three-, four-hour show, and we'll be able to cover uh, solutions that we have to overcome this matrix, to either live one foot in and one foot out, how to just ride it out inside the system, I guess, and try to make it last as long as you can, how we can start to build our own homesteads, how we can look to maybe join together, buy a big piece of land to go build a breakaway civilization. I don't know. I have lots of ideas. It's just trying to figure out what the best course of action is, what's most realistic, what insulates us the most for the longest period of time. So we're going to be doing all of that stuff, folks. And I do want to get back to and finish Birth Without Violence for you. I decided not to start the show with this today because the memories, uh, they're seared into my mind of what occurred over the 56 hours that my wife Maggie was laboring. But I'd like to get that out on uh, tape 
as soon as possible before I start to forget that and before I delve back into the uh, beginning of eugenics, going back to the late 1800s. I was actually rereading some documents today, listening to the last couple of episodes I recorded before I went on maternity leave. Yes, I took a male maternity leave. But before I uh, uh, did, I kind of forgot some of that stuff, obviously, through so much emotion and everything that went on over the last week. Uh, I had to go back and refresh my memory and figure out what I had already covered. So I'm going to go deep, 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 deep into eugenics, uh, sterilization, and then show you how that has progressed into the current transhumanist movement, and then we're going to tie transhumanism into technocracy. So we're going to get back on track with that. But I wanted to record this. Maria Albanese wanted me to record this. She said it's very valuable information, and it's also part of the collection that I'm building here, recording all these episodes are part of the homeschooling that uh, William will be going through in the future, folks. The real history of our country, the things that really matter at this point so he understands uh, the world that he's living in and can figure out how he wants to live his life inside or outside of that system. So let's start with this. Uh, My wife and I's journey into wanting to do a non-medicated home birth. And this all started when We found out that she was pregnant in February, about middle to late February, we figured that out. And so immediately, we started talking to various friends of ours, including Maria Albanese, and said, listen, we don't want to be inside this Rockefeller medical industrial complex. I'm very lucky. Maggie and I have not been together that long. As many of you know, I went through a divorce not long ago. We met. We fell in love immediately. It started out like this. A friend of mine who I was doing Instacart with, uh, I had only known him for a month or so. He says, I want to introduce you to this woman. Now, he tells me this while him and I were sitting down in a place called Beer and Wine. It's a little um, sort of micro brew beer store with some high-end beers and wines. And they also serve alcohol and this is in montgomery county maryland and so i had owed him i don't really go out to the bar i haven't gone out to the bar really since my 30s you know um i just don't really do that anymore i spent about six seven years being married running a photography business and really just didn't have time so i had met him up here in maryland after my divorce had started and i left nashville tennessee and so he says to me, uh, he, helped me, he helped me out with something. And so I said, I owe you dinner and I owe you a drink. And so we go out to eat. I bought him a burger or something. I don't know. He wasn't into fancy food. So I get him a burger at this bar. And then he says, I want you to check out this other place. I said, man, I'm tired. I really want to go home. Uh, at that time, I was getting up at 5 in the morning and then working all day until 10 o'clock at night. So he says, no, man. He says, no, I want, I want to... Uh, I want you to come over to this place. So we go over to this uh, little place, beer and wine, and we're having a drink. And he says, I want to introduce you to this girl that I know. I think you guys will really get along. She just recently went through a divorce. She's the nicest person in the world. I said, oh, man, no, 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 no. I'm not even looking for a woman for another year. I want to... 
get my shit together. I've got to save some money again because of the divorce. And I've got to try to buy a piece of property out in West Virginia. And then I'm going to look for somebody and still try to have a kid. And so he said, no, you got to meet her. You got to meet her. I said, no, no, I don't want to meet her. He said, well, too late. She's right there. Literally, this girl walks in and she is gorgeous, right? And her eyes are beautiful. Her butt was beautiful. And boom, she speaks. And I didn't know what the accent was. I didn't know she was Polish. And I said, oh, my God, this is like a dream come true. And the next thing you know, her and I are talking uh, for a few minutes. We go outside. At that time, I was still smoking cigarettes. So I go out there to smoke a cigarette. And we're talking literally 10 minutes into knowing each other. um, And pretty much everyone in Montgomery County is vaccinated, except apparently me and her. And boom, we clicked, folks. No vaccine. Click like that. Ever since then, we were pretty much together almost every day since we met. So it was a match made in heaven. Uh, She loves the outdoors. She's an avid hiker. I think she hiked uh, 21 miles in one day once when we were in Poland. She's pregnant. She made me me hike seven miles up this really steep mountain with her. So she loves hiking. She loves camping. Uh, We go camping on an island here called Assateague Island where there's wild horses. And so she took me there several times. So she loved the outdoors. She loves nature. Uh, And then eventually, like I went to Poland, I met her family, very family oriented, uh, traditional folks. And so it was this match made in heaven. Everything was right. She's uh, 39. I'm 41. And we knew what we wanted out of life. Um, We had gone through divorces. She wanted a kid out of that marriage. She didn't get it. I wanted one out of my former marriage. I didn't get it. I guess everything happens for a reason. So we end up having a kid. We were really planning on doing it uh, going into this next year coming up, but it just happened. We weren't trying, but we weren't not trying. And so it was the most exciting time when we discovered this in February. So we had already talked about, since the day we met, about how we'd raise a child. Uh, I talked to her about homeschooling. We talked about vaccines. We talked about, you know, a home birth and not doing it in the hospital. So as soon as we knew she was pregnant, we went into high gear. I talked to Marie Albanese. We start doing our research, looking at all the midwiferies around this area. We end up making some calls. We find one. It's called Riverside Midwifery. Uh, Fantastic people owned by Nanette Jenkins and there's a team there now of Nikki, Heather, Grace and Chris. Okay, they're all midwives in this group. So, we go and we immediately sign up with this uh, midwifery and boom, we're part of the group, part of the family. Really good, really cool place, uh, small little home, two-level home and that's the office. And so we join up with them, and then they tell us, well, it's your first birth, so you have to get a doula. So we start doing research, and we end up with a woman named Alyssa Kinney, one of the kindest, most fantastic people on the planet. So now we have this doula, and our doula was 100% for natural birth, no medications. She is like as natural as you could possibly get. All right. She's open and honest. She has three kids. They're not vaccinated. Um, 
And so we end up with a good team. And then in the midwifery, it's a mix. Like one of the women's kid is not vaccinated. One has uh, some vaccines. Another one has vaccines. So we ended up being surrounded by a very diverse group of people, but all people who love life and bringing life into the world and love children all right these are not obgyns that do abortions on wednesdays and deliver babies on thursdays uh we ran into a couple of those while we were looking at doctors and so we said i don't know that sounds a little bit strange uh we want someone whose practice is centered around life now you can say well my practice is centered around women's health so i do abortions and i deliver babies okay that's your thing i'm not here to judge i'm just saying we wanted someone who was centered around life uh, the love of life and so we found that team we put it together so we end up with Alyssa Kinney we end up with Riverside Midwifery and then we uh, wanted to take a birth class and so we're looking around and there is something called the Bradley method written by a Dr. Bradley some of the stuff has been updated over the years but it turns out Alyssa Kinney our doula is actually the teacher and the instructor for the Bradley Method. And that is a 10-week, two-hour-a-week course. So we end up with Alyssa for the birth classes. And Bradley Method centers around women, not necessarily who want to do home birth, but who want to do birth without using any pain medications. So we end up in that class, met a fantastic group of people. There was about 10 couples total in that class uh four or five of them were in person and then the other ones were on zoom so we didn't really get to know them but all the ones in person we got to know in fact we're going to be uh taking our baby out to eat probably in the coming month or so with a couple we met in that class and their newborn child ellie so it was great we built everything uh around this whole natural life this whole natural birth and so we started making sure we were eating all farm fresh that's where we got really really uh dedicated uh to growing our gardens we hooked up with a lady named farmer carol she's fantastic she has a farm where we buy a lot of our vegetables all of our farm fresh eggs she sources stuff from other farmers in the area and then we started using a few different butchers where we get organic meats a friend of mine up in harper's ferry area in west virginia he raises cattle on his land and so we got some beef from him so we started building a community around us of people who were interested in the things we were and not it's it's not a monolith because some people are covid vaccinated some are not some use other vaccines and not others so it's not like everyone is exactly the same so you still have to be careful you're not looking to start fights but you're building a community of people around you who love life who love nature who are about living as naturally as possible so that is how our journey started when we get back i'm going to start to talk to you about what happened uh, when my wife went into labor what our plan was and then what happened at the hospital i want to give you guys some insight into the rockefeller medical industrial complex from someone who went into the hospital hating them and came out of it 
still hating them, but realizing there are a few good souls out there working within that system. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Yeah, folks, I was just thinking over the break, too. I forgot to mention, right? So we're sitting down at this little table inside the beer and wine and i remember i did my trump impression and i had her laughing so hard maggie almost fell out of her seat no she was not drunk she had one drink while we were there called a frosé it's like a slushy mixed with wine like i like ice crushed ice mixed with wine and so she loved the trump impression and uh, between that and the no vaccine boom that was it folks love at first sight and so uh, i remember that it was great but you know what take this away lesson number one because uh, we're talking about life we're talking about love lesson number one if you're feeling down if your life is totally flipped upside down and crushed and your spirit is crushed, uh, just remember, life can turn around in a moment, folks. It's just magical. And I have to give credit to my dear friend, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, because when my divorce started in Nashville, I remember Maria saying, look, it's over. It's over. Too many things were said. Too many things were done. Just pack up and leave. Get the heck out of there. Go somewhere else. And so I remember I started looking around at houses to rent in Nashville, or in the suburbs of Nashville, even up into some rural areas. And Maria said, no, just get the hell out of there. She said, the photography business is ruined. It's not like you have clients that you need there. Your family's not there. You moved there for your ex-wife at the time, my wife. She said, just, just get out of that area and start fresh. So it just so happened that my sister lived in Frederick, Maryland, where I am now. And she said to me, hey, um, my landlord, because my sister lives in downtown Frederick, she's more of like a downtown type. She said, my landlord in Frederick has this little house on the outskirts of the suburbs uh, bordering the rural area. And I said, I don't want to freaking move to Maryland. I spent my life escaping, you know, the Northeast. I grew up in Connecticut. I said, I really don't want to move there. And she said, listen, it's got a huge backyard. It sits on an acre. There's deer in the backyard. There's foxes, groundhogs. And I said, yeah, right. Show me a picture. And she showed me a picture because I was going to miss the deer that would hang out in my yard where we lived outside of Nashville. And there were deer. And I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. I'll move up there because she already had a network of uh, friends. And my friends really just are spread out all over the country because of the nature of the businesses I was involved in in my life in the corporate entertainment 
entertainment business, um, when I was in marketing and, and design. I travel a lot for those. So I have friends all over the place. My, you know, Maria Albanese, a friend of mine, she lives in Florida. Chrissy Piccolo, who I've had on this show, she lives out in Washington State. Uh, my friend Tim Waters, who was Bill Clinton on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno over 200 times. He lives down in Florida. So Dan Golvach, who's been on the show, friend of mine in Texas. So I, I have a lot of friends that are spread out all over the place. All my friends from college and high school, they're spread out all over the place as well. So I said, all right, whatever, I'll come up to Frederick. At the time, I was in the middle of doing the gig work because of still COVID and then the divorce. So I said, ah, whatever, I don't really care what market I end up in. And so it, it turned out to be fantastic. So thank you very much, Maria, for telling me that there was someone out there. Maria said, I guarantee if you go somewhere else, you're going to meet a woman uh, and you're going to end up having the family that you wanted. And it worked out so quickly. Uh, it was like magic, folks. So if you're in a bad position, keep your head held high, you know, just pray and uh, don't shut people down talk to people introduce yourself to people build a new network so i met my wife and then from there we built a network of the most fantastic people around us and i'm talking about you know friends i met through my sister uh, my wife has a large number of friends as well that come mainly out of the uh, polish community that she's known since she went to college here 20 years ago in the united states um and then we have a group of friends now that we met through the midwifery a lot of their clients that we met through there uh through our doula uh, tonight, there's a woman that we met at the midwifery picnic a couple of months ago who is going to come on the show soon. She knows all about homeopathic medicine. She has three children. They were all uh, home birth. Well, the last one was born premature, so she had to shift to the hospital. This woman and her husband and her three kids just came over tonight with a giant venison roast, asparagus, homemade chocolate chip oatmeal cookies, uh, chocolate oatmeal muffins, biscuits, a bag of apples and, and clementines. I mean, that we just met this person two months ago. Our neighbors, fantastic people. They have three children. They They've been checking in on us through the whole birth. Uh, my neighbor, Josh, his grandmother, knitted this uh, camping-themed blanket, a crocheted blanket for uh, William before he was even born because they knew my wife was into hiking and camping. Uh, and then they just dropped off a big, giant uh, tub of homemade chicken soup last night. So would you go out there with a positive attitude and you look to build a network, a new network, people that are into the similar things that you are, similar ideas, similar, similar values, um, you're going to find them, folks. From the YMCA, the lady who's our instructor, Carrie Anderson, fantastic woman. She loves chocolate chip cookies. We bring her chocolate chip cookies. Uh, she came to our baby shower. Another gentleman there named JP has become a good friend of ours. So we have now this wide network of all these friends that we built in and around uh, our journey to deliver this baby at home and in the most healthy way as possible. 
All right, so never give up, folks. Never give up. You look at me right here. I started a whole new career during this as well. I mean, that's what this show is. I'm still doing some website consulting work, uh, which I got going again. I wasn't really doing that in Nashville because I was running the photography business that my wife, my ex-wife and I had. So just don't give up. Just don't give up. Go look in places for people that you you really jive with, man. You really jive with. And that's important not to give up because things are going to get rough. They're going to get tough. COVID land, high school theater production. We thought that was bad. Uh, one of the causes for my divorce. But you know what? It all worked out in the end. And I think things are meant to be. So go look for new opportunities and you will find them, ladies and gentlemen. Never give up because the road ahead is going to be rough. The technocrats and the transhumanists are advancing at warp speed ladies and gentlemen at warp speed all right so here was the idea we had with the midwifery okay the idea was that my wife was going to give birth at home and in an ideal situation she was going to give birth in this tub so we had a birthing tub it's filled with warm water and the idea was that she was going to give birth in that tub i explained it a couple of episodes ago the advantages of using a birthing tub so when you join this midwifery instead of going to your obgyn and you could still use one uh if you want to but if you're not you go to the midwifery every month and they do a checkup um they do draw some blood they do send that to lab core and they get certain uh tests done and there's reasons for this some of this stuff is important okay otherwise you're really just operating blind and that's really not too safe again everyone's going to have their own ideas i'm just uh, laying this out for you uh they want you or they sort of want you to do a ultrasound at 22 weeks uh, we actually did not do that we read everything we could on ultrasounds and we decided that the risks uh, outweighed the rewards so we did not do the ultrasound we also did not want to know the gender of our child uh, my wife kind of did she's a little more impatient than me but i talked her into it and so we left that uh, as a surprise now what they did with some of the blood work folks because when you have a baby generally right away they put an eye ointment and and so you know i didn't go pull up everything for this show because i'd end up reading all this scientific stuff that i'm not in the uh, mood to do right now so i'm going to give you the basics but basically there's an eye ointment they put in their eyes uh, they give them a vitamin k shot the vitamin k is supposed to start generating vitamin K in the baby right away, even though vitamin K naturally builds up about five days into the baby's life. Uh, and then they also give them a hepatitis shot. And there's some other stuff you can do as well. If it's a boy, you can have them circumcised right away. And so we asked the midwives what they thought about these things. We asked our doula what she thought about these things. We went and did our own research, read a lot of material on this. And so, again, we decided, let's say, let's start with vitamin K, right? So the whole idea behind the vitamin K shot is that the 
child doesn't develop uh, vitamin K inside them until about five days uh, into their life on this planet. So I said to myself, okay, there is a reason why God, and, and I'm not pushing uh, Christianity or any other religion. I happen to believe in God, a creator, mother nature, you know, natural life, uh, something that makes this whole world work the way that it does, the real science that we should be trusting. So I said, okay, there's obviously a reason why God does not make the vitamin K in the baby until at least uh, five days into their life on this planet. So we're not going to do vitamin K. So we asked the midwives and they said, listen, we like to approach it on a risk-based assessment. So what happens is when the baby's born, if we see severe bruising or there's bleeding or any signs of internal bleeding, then we recommend the vitamin K shot. So we said, okay, we'll do that. We'll make the decision uh, in the heat of the moment. So we crossed that off our list. Now, the eye ointment if the uh, woman, if the mom is tested, I believe it's for gonorrhea or chlamydia, and it comes back negative, then the baby does not need the eye ointment. Now, in the Rockefeller Medical Industrial Complex hospitals, they automatically, uh, I mean, they have to get your consent, but generally they try to sneak this in. They will stick it with the vitamin K. They will put the eye ointment in. It's a one-size-fits-all approach, okay? So if you have the test leading up to this and you're negative you don't need the eye ointment so boom we cross that off the list right then the hepatitis shot and there's a whole thing behind this and so we decide we don't need it we don't need it so we cross off all these things that we don't want going into our child's body and we would probably not have even gone down that path if we were working with an OBGYN and a hospital and not with this midwifery team all right so all of those things were taken care of right from the beginning now throughout this process they do some further tests they test for gestational diabetes in the mom maggie came back negative her levels were a little bit high but they took the test right after we had gotten back from poland where she was sneaking some polish pastry so i thought maybe her sugar levels were high also what the midwives told us was that if you are generally not eating a lot of sugar and carbs and we were on a pretty strict diet throughout this um throughout this uh pregnancy my wife was very 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 good with that they said well if you're not eating a lot and then we give you the sugar drink that they use to give you this test so you drink a sugar drink you wait an hour and then they do a blood prick and they send that in they said sometimes that'll show the levels are high so we crossed that off the list we didn't have to worry about gestational diabetes the third uh big test that they do is a GBS, uh, Group B strep. And so about 60% of men and women have this bacteria inside their body at any given time. Well, what could happen is that the GBS can actually get into uh, the vagina. Then what they say is it becomes this risk factor. And they want you to have uh, antibiotics pumped into your bloodstream 
while you're actually giving birth and then this supposedly makes its way to the baby because they say once the water breaks the bacteria could move from your vagina up into the uh, womb there up into the uterus and it could end up giving the baby um some uh this, this bacteria which could end up causing some problems well we ended up running into a really tricky situation and this stuff happened about a month before the due date which was october 28th so we were sitting there stuck in a really bad situation folks so what did we do well old dustin broke out the internet and started diving deep and doing his research when i get back i'll tell you all about that ladies and gentlemen this is dust gold with the dust gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, I know. I know it's a little bit embarrassing to be talking about some of this stuff, but heck, folks, this is life, right? This is life, and I'm going to help you be able to navigate all of this stuff with the information that I am giving you. Whether you're going to have a kid, you have a kid on the way, uh, maybe your grandkid is on the way, and you want to be able to talk to your son or your daughter about these type of things, folks, they are options. And so providing you with options, they may become solutions for some of your problems so maggie ends up testing positive for gbs not uncommon it's like 40 to 50 percent of pregnant women end up testing positive so what they want to do is they want to start pumping antibiotics into your system to protect the baby so i start doing all kinds of research on this and i go even into the cdc information that's going to be like the most mainstream information out there and what i find folks is that by the time you whittle down the uh, number of babies and, and a lot of babies have the gbs transferred to them but it does nothing it doesn't harm them and some will get sick and some can actually have life-threatening illnesses or even die but when you boil it down it comes down to like one in ten thousand one in fifty thousand now you would say to yourself okay well if they can stop that one in fifty thousand chance am i going to do it Well, there's a 1 in 50,000 chance that I'm going to accidentally drop my baby on its head, you know? So you have to start being realistic about some of these stats you see. And you also have to realize that this stuff was tested by these CDC guidelines and CDC-funded studies that were done. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. So I start doing research into the effects of the antibiotics on the child. And so what I find is that it actually lowers the um, the immunities that the child builds and it could stunt their 
uh, development of immunities to various diseases uh, for one, two, three, four months. Okay, so I said, all right, this is a problem. Now, I wanted to look at the long-term effects of the antibiotics, uh, but there are no studies on that. So the CDC sits there and tells you to take the antibiotics, but they haven't done any long-term studies on the effects to that child. I don't know. What does it cause? Autism? Does it cause uh, cancer? I mean, who knows? Who knows? Because they haven't done the studies on that. So you can see where the priorities lie. Of course, our government is giving out money to grow babies in synthetic wombs, develop designer babies, do all sorts of transhumanist experiments on people. People, but they haven't done a study on the long-term effects of pumping the mother with antibiotics. So again, we sat down with our midwife team. This is about a month before the expected due date. They said, listen, both of you need to start taking these probiotics. You need to take garlic. You need to take vitamin C. You need to take grapeseed oil extract. And there was a couple of other things we took as well. And I'm going to eventually have one of the midwives on the show and our doula. I'm trying to set that up maybe for next week so we can go into detail about all this stuff. Uh, A few of them are actually experts in homeopathy as well. So they've got all types of tricks for you guys that we're going to share here on this show, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, we decided with them that we were going to base that on risk as well. So the main idea is that if the water breaks at least 12 hours before mom is actually giving birth, that's where some of the problems uh, could really happen, where the GBS could transfer to the child and the risk of them getting a deadly disease or dying pretty much on the spot, uh, it goes up. Um, and so they said, here's what we normally do. We use this risk-based assessment that they use in the United Kingdom. Here, they just give the antibiotics to everyone. If you're in the hospital, uh, you really don't have a choice. So what they said was, we like to look at the temperature. We look at when the water broke, uh, a couple other things, uh, because what can happen is if an infection ends up inside the uterus, that can end up causing problems, and that's where the baby can get sick. And when we get to that point, we'll tell you, and then we think the risk of not taking the antibiotics outweighs the possible rewards of lowering the immune system for the child for the first month or two. So we said, okay, good. And this was the advantage, I said, of having this team versus an OBGYN or working with the hospital directly because we were able to get realistic input, people basing things on not alternative science, I think, but real science, non-Rockefeller science. So that was worth it, folks. So there you go. That's what we did for everything, uh, for all sort of the pre-planning going up to birth. Now, the cost of the midwifery service was $6,000. And the cost for the doula was $1,000. Now, our insurance does not cover the doula, but we're supposedly going to recover about 50 to 70% of the cost of the midwife services. Now, if we don't, that's okay. We said it was worth the investment. We knew that going in. We paid cash for it. Uh, If we do, that money just goes into an account for William. So that's fine as well. 
Uh, so either way, it was worth it. We were willing to spend that money out of pocket. Now, if we went right to the hospital, we work with an OBGYN, it would have basically been about a $1,500 copay. And then the cost of a birth in the hospital is anywhere from, I don't know, ten dollars to $30,000 now. So we could have went that route, but we decided to invest in the midwives and it was well worth it. So here's what happens, folks. My wife goes into, I'm going to skip forward and I might go back, but I want to start to lay out what happened during the birth so you understand why we ended up in the hospital. So my wife goes into labor at about 11.30 p.m. on November 10th. I was actually down here in the studio recording a show. I go upstairs. She tells me she had two contractions that she had never felt before, and that was between 11.30 p.m. and about midnight, right? So I turn on the old iPhone. I break out this little rinky-dink contraction tractor uh, 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 tracker that I had downloaded that our doula recommended, and I start tracking these contractions. And so tracking the contractions. And so this happens all the way up about uh, until 6 o'clock in the morning on November 11th all right and so they're getting stronger and they're getting closer together but she's still able to move around we both kind of were falling asleep in between they were about 15 minutes apart and about six in the morning she goes oh my god i think my water broke well we found out later it wasn't that it was basically uh, just baby urine and so <laughs> so she ends up uh, we get up at six that was it we didn't sleep since then and so at six o'clock in the morning we're kind of walking around doing stuff i upload a couple shows she wanted me to come down here and record birth without violence but i just couldn't leave her so we baked a polish cake i don't know we ate her last uh, big meal that she was going to be able to get down and we're just waiting and all day they're kind of growing they're getting closer together and we found it to be kind of strange because we had taken all these classes and we knew how contractions were supposed to build and all of a sudden she gets this stretch of about an hour where her contractions were about 50 seconds to 70 seconds each and they were about three minutes apart so we're sending screenshots of the tracker to our doula and midwife the doula says all right listen i'm gonna head over there so she comes over the house uh, again her name is Alyssa. One of the best people I've ever met in my life. So Alyssa comes over and she's hanging out with Maggie and we're watching. Uh, contractions are growing and growing. And finally, Alyssa says, listen, we got to get the midwives in. So it's about 1230 in the morning and a midwife named Heather. She's also a nurse. She's on call. She comes over to the house. She starts checking out Maggie. She calls in her midwife assistant who is not a nurse. Her name's Nikki. She comes over the house. We start setting up the birthing tub. I have to get it all filled up with hot water. I had a big projection screen mounted on the wall and i had a looping uh, three-hour video of a hike through the mountains that i got from my wife i actually set this all up on our anniversary october 13th and surprised her and showed her what i had set up for her because she was going to look at the birth as hiking a mountain so we got it all set up she gets in the birthing pool around this point um, she is eight and a half uh, centimeters dilated and so 
and we know this from uh, some of this stuff is a little personal, but there's certain things that we caved on that we were not planning on doing, like a vaginal exam. We were not going to do that. We ended up deciding to do it. We trusted our midwives, and because the contractions were becoming irregular, we really wanted to see where we were at. So at this point in the birthing tub, she's at eight and a half centimeters, and her water breaks. So we think, oh, this is great. We're getting close. We don't have to worry about the anti because she's probably going to give birth in the next few hours. Um, and this is where things took a turn for the worse. Maggie could not keep down any food. Okay, she couldn't keep down any food. At this time, we're about 26 hours into labor. Uh, she had vomited. I had given her a popsicle. She couldn't even keep that down. I was hydrating her with water and coconut water for the electrolytes. And so then they're like, uh, you know, what are we going to do? The midwives are monitoring the situation. Alyssa's working with her, getting her in different positions, trying to get the contractions to become more regular. And at this point, things just kind of started to spiral uh, out of control. Now, Maggie's getting very tired. Contractions are irregular. She's hanging out in this uh, birth tub. At this point, I said, I don't think this is a good idea. It might be relaxing you. Let's get you out of there. So we get out of there. I'm hanging out with her on the bed. Uh, we had our guest room set up because the bed is, uh, the mattress is lower than our bedroom. And so we have that set up and then we're going back into the living room. She's working with the midwives and doula and everybody's trying to get these contractions back up on track folks but they're just spacing out she's running out of energy at this point it's six seven eight o'clock in the morning and we could not get the contractions to tighten back up and at this point they're really hurting her though they're strong like very strong contractions uh every few minutes but then every time they would get together in a bunch like she would have 10 contractions three minutes apart and then it would space out to five minutes seven minutes ten minutes and no one could really figure out what was going on now we're up against the clock because the water breaks you know at um whatever it was seven eight o'clock in the morning or something the water breaks and now the clock is ticking on this gbs issue and whether or not we're going to have to hook her up to anti biotics folks i'll leave it right here for that cliffhanger when i get back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the birthing hour my name is dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold all right so now it's like eight nine ten o'clock in the morning and the uh, midwives, right, they're starting, I could tell they're starting to get worried. At this point, 
I hadn't slept for God only knows how long. It had been over 24 hours. I jump in the shower, and I'm trying to wake myself up, and I've got to be there to support my wife, and she's kind of in a daze. I see her in pain during the contractions, and then in between, she's able to talk to me, but she's not able to eat. Uh, I keep giving her a kiss, telling her I love her, telling her how strong she is, and so now the midwives are going to switch shifts, so they bring in a midwife named Chris and then a birth assistant um, I think her name was Samantha she's newer nice girl nice girl though so Chris comes in now Chris is really interesting she had worked in hospitals uh, as a nurse I think as a nurse midwife in a birthing center and also as a midwife and she semi-retired but she came back actually to help and work with Riverside where she had worked with uh, for years but she's back giving them a hand because they were they were shorthanded for a while so Chris comes in we really like Chris and Maggie really trusts her. So Chris really is a hands-on. She has like sort of this managerial style she does. Very soft-spoken voice when she's coaching you. So she gets uh, Maggie on the ground and they're doing some stretches, doing different things. She's really trying to move this along. And it's very much a blur at that point because there's, there's emotions were so high and I remember at one point we end up back on the bed and Chris is flipping Maggie from contraction to contraction on each side uh, between her knees, something called a peanut ball. It's like two rubber balls inside of a tube. They got it between her legs and they're kind of flipping her back and forth. And Chris is trying to calm her down and get her to sleep between contractions to build up her energy. And Chris is well aware that Maggie hasn't been able to keep any food down. And so Chris tells me, lay down over here. I want you to go to sleep too. We need you to uh, get some rest because this is going to get rough if she ends up getting to the pushing stage and you guys are really tired. So I didn't want to do it, but I closed my eyes and it felt like a matter of minutes. But the next thing I know, I woke up about two or three hours later. I was actually sort of upset that no one woke me up. And uh, they're about to put an IV bag into Maggie. Uh, and and they're telling me, okay, this is what we're going to do. They did wake me up to tell me this. They said she hasn't been able to eat. She's running out of energy. We think her uterus is really tired. We've got to get some, um, some juice into her. So they tap her with the IV. Uh, it's basically a sugar water, and they've got that flowing into her. Now, remember, the midwives are really try to go 100% natural when at all times, but they're trained to utilize a lot of different tools. So they were giving her uh, homeopathic uh, drugs. They were giving her uh, herbs and different things while I was asleep. Nothing was working. She couldn't hold them down, actually. She was vomiting them up. So at that point, they had no choice but to put the IV in her. So they put the IV in her. They get her down with a bag of juice. And at this point, um, she's back to pushing again for several hours. Uh, it's not getting anywhere. The contractions are now spreading further and further apart. At this point, she is only seven meters dilated, and she's starting. her cervix is starting to swell. So they start to get worried that there's a possible infection coming, uh, something going on. And so uh, Chris pulls me aside and talks to me and says, listen, I know we had talked about this, uh, but I think you should go with 
the antibiotics right now because it's been so long since the water broke and now the GBS risks outweigh the risks of giving the baby antibiotics because if the baby gets this infection it could be really bad right now because we don't know how long the baby's going to be inside her because she's not near the pushing stage and now the cervix is closing and i think there may be an infection um because the cervix was now like swelling and closed back down to seven centimeters so we decided okay we lose this battle, all right? This is a battle that we are going to lose. And so Chris says to me, listen, if, God forbid, we have to transfer her to the hospital, which is the last place we wanted to be, they are going to make her take the antibiotics. So we are better off starting them here at home than letting the hospital start them there because then we'll have a little more control when we bring her in as to what we can say we want them to use. So Maggie and I make a decision and we do it. All right. So loss number one, that was a big dagger in the heart, something we did not want, but you know, in the moment you weigh the risks. Now, if I hadn't done all the research I did and shared it with Maggie and we hadn't come up with a plan, uh, if we went with an OBGYN, she would have been on this from the very moment it started. In fact, if we went with an OBGYN, once Maggie was over 40 weeks, uh, once she hit her due date, they would have been pressing to induce her, which is to give her Pitocin to force her to have contractions and have the baby. They would have been pressing for a C-section at 41 weeks. We uh, went 42 weeks is right when she started labor and she didn't deliver until 42 weeks and two days. So in my mind, we had already beat the system in that regard. So I said, all right, well, we've done our research. I know at least the short-term risk is the immunity issue. We don't know the long-term risk. But at the same time, if Maggie ends up with a full-blown infection right now, she could end up dying. Uh, the baby could end up brain dead or dying. So we're going to have to roll the dice. Now it's in God's hands. So we do the antibiotics. Uh, at this point, Chris says, she took the IV bag real fast. I'm going to do another IV bag because we really need to get her hydrated. And then I'm going to run through another set of exercises to try to get the contractions back up and we'll see where we're at. So she gives her another IV bag. And uh, I'm sorry, folks. It's emotional, right? So she gives her another IV bag. I could tell Maggie was not herself. Um, she had sort of lost her stamina. The woman who made me hike seven miles when I was in Poland up this steep mountain while she had a baby in her belly and told me I needed to keep going, that woman was slowly fading away. The warrior that I knew was disappearing uh her will to fight was fading and it pained me to see her there with the iv bag and the antibiotic bag in her arm in our own house it was like watching uh muhammad ali get beat up in the corner of the ring and so she said to me i'll do anything i'll get a c-section i and i said no honey no 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 and we had many conversations i was staring in her eyes i was trying to give her hope 
I was just trying to get her to eat something and she wouldn't. And I could see that she was in pain. But the biggest thing is she was so tired. She was just running out of energy. And then I always knew inside her body, she could have this infection that was brewing that could cause a lot of problems and i didn't know all the ramifications of what would happen in the hospital if she had the infection but i had done a lot of research and i was pretty aware that it was not going to be pretty and so what was nice about the situation we were in again folks building a team around you we had chris who had worked in the system inside the rockefeller medical industrial system uh who was willing to lean towards uh some of the rockefeller medicines right and then we had Alyssa ardula who was a hundred percent natural Alyssa will tell you just stay put don't do anything your body will do this for you so I had the two extremes there, right? Not the extreme, because Chris wasn't extreme. She leaned towards natural, but she was willing to lean into Rockefeller. And so I had both voices. I had two different consultants, two people I really trusted uh, to give me advice. And each time I would ask Alyssa, do you think we should do the antibiotics or do you think we should do the IV? If Alyssa said yes, then I knew it was the right choice because Alyssa would normally say no. But in the heat of the moment, Alyssa had to be realistic and not idealistic, right? So it was great to have those people around us and we couldn't have done it without them. So what happens next is Maggie is just really running out of energy. The contractions are not um, are not uh, speeding up. They're not coming together. They're not getting closer together. So finally, Chris says to me, listen, I think we've got to transfer to the hospital. We're approaching 48 hours. Uh, this is 24 hours since her water broke. Her cervix is swollen. She is closing up. This is not good. This is getting into a very dangerous situation. And the last thing we want is to have to transfer her in an ambulance because of an emergency. That would not be good. We would be locked out, meaning the midwife and the doula. We wouldn't be allowed in the room with her. We wouldn't be there for guidance. We wouldn't be there for support. And it could get pretty ugly pretty quickly uh, if we are not there and you are this tired. You're not going to be able to make the right decisions. So if we go now, we could end up having some control over the situation. So I gather Maggie's things. We did not have a hospital bag packed. Maggie did not want one because she said if she had one, then that would give her a reason to go. So she told me not to pack one uh, leading up to the birth as we were preparing for this. So I pack a bag. I put everything in there that we need. And uh, I'm heartbroken because I feel like I failed her. Somehow I couldn't coach her through this. And now we are in a situation where we're going to the last place we want to be, which is the hospital. So I'm tired. I have, uh, you know, just adrenaline pumping through me. I'm trying not to get upset, but I'm also mad at the midwives for not being able to coach her through this. Um, and so I'm starting to get a little bit of an attitude. But I'm trying to hold it together for Maggie and for our unborn child. 
And so I end up getting her in the car. Chris says, listen, this is where you're going to go to Frederick Health. That's the hospital we went to. I'm going to meet you there. You're going to go in the main entrance. We're going to pull up front. I'm going to put her in a wheelchair. We're going to get her in. You're going to go park. Alyssa and I are going to bring her in, meet us inside, and then we'll go in together. So now I end up driving my car to the parking garage. It was probably the longest seven minutes of my entire life. I'm thinking they're going to steal my wife. They're going to sneak her away. I'm starting to get a little paranoid because I'm so tired, uh, thinking they're going to usher her in to get a C-section, which is really the last thing we ever wanted. And so everything is just spiraling out of control, and I feel like I don't have control. And I said to myself, Dustin, I I remember I looked in the mirror, I put the sun visor down and I looked in the mirror and I said, you talk about on your show that you can only control the things you can control and the things you can't, you have to put them, you know, in God's hands. Uh, Don't be a hypocrite, you know, practice what you preach, get your shit together, go in there, be supportive of your wife and try to figure out the situation, the lay of the land, and let's get her through this the best way possible. So, ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, we enter the Rockefeller Medical Industrial Complex, the place that I believe is hell. And I'm about to walk in there with very little sleep And my mind was not as sharp as it normally is. So, ladies and gentlemen, when I get back, more on that. I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. <laughs> All right, folks. God, it feels like a million years ago and it was just a few days ago. So I, uh, I'm walking back from the parking garage, right? I get up to the front door, the main entrance of Frederick Health Hospital, and Chris, our midwife, tells me, you need to put on a mask. I said, oh, my God, what? I don't have a mask. She said, oh, they have them. They're right over there. And I see Maggie's got one on. I said, are you seriously putting that on her? going through this stuff with the way you know she's about to pass out to begin with and she says yeah you got to put them on or they're not going to let you in right so i put on the freaking it, it was literally the free mass were the thickness of two ply toilet paper i'm not kidding you like it's the most ridiculous thing so we're entering covid land the high school theater production literal high school theater production like this mask was a prop that a high school theater department would use in place of a gas mask. It was a two-ply toilet paper with two rubber bands. And everyone in line at the main entrance wearing them, their lips are hanging out the side. It's ridiculous. Like the thing, if you're looking in the video, it was a square this big. Like my lips are, you know, leaking out the side of it. Anyway, we put this nonsense on and we go into the hospital 
and we got to bring her to the labor area. And so they got to get her out of the wheelchair while she's having contractions and weigh her. You know, and the next thing you know, they wheel us down the hallway and they put us in a little hospital room. It was like a birthing room, though. And so there's like a bed. It's got the buttons so the bed could fold in half and, you know, move up and down like an old, old senior citizen bed. And then there's a curtain in the middle of the room that slides back and forth. And on the other side, there's a little table for obviously the newborn child with a huge spotlight over the top. It looked like a surgery table for a midget. I mean, (laughs) it was crazy. I'm like, oh my God, this is the last place we want to be. So we get her in the room and then we're waiting. And the next thing you know, some nurse comes in. I forgot her name. And she says, okay, we're going to have to do COVID tests, everyone. I said, no, no, we're not taking COVID tests. Not going to happen. Not doing it. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've never taken a COVID test. Uh, My wife took one COVID test at the very beginning of COVID before I knew her. Um, I let that slide when I met her. I said, okay, hopefully they didn't plant anything uh, up inside her nose. So anyway, I said, no, we're not taking them. We're not taking COVID tests. And so the girl goes, well, then uh, everyone in this room is going to have to wear a mask when hospital people are in here. I said, are you kidding me? I was pissed at this time, remember? I hadn't slept. I'm in a place I don't want to be. I'm really getting ticked off. High emotions. In my head, I'm blaming the midwives. Never blamed Ardula. I thought Alyssa was fantastic. But I'm getting upset. And all these things are running through my head about what went wrong at the house. Why did this infection happen? Why weren't the midwives? wives able to get her uh to deliver the baby at home you know i'm trying to figure out who i'm gonna blame for this situation it's just how my mind started to work and so i snapped at her i said this is ridiculous i said these masks are like toilet paper they do nothing i mean why do you guys succumb to this why are you part of this and why are you playing along when you know it doesn't work so she goes well i'll just tell you if you don't do covid tests then you'll be in covid isolation and then uh, we have to wear personal protective equipment. I said, fine, wear personal protective equipment. So they go back out in the hallway and the midwife and the dude, the duel is like, basically, Alyssa's giving me a thumbs up. She thinks I'm a warrior, like a blast in the hospital system. And the midwife's kind of looking at me like, hey, you know, you got to chill out. You got to chill out. Now, I find out from our midwife that she was once a nurse under the on-call OBGYN uh, doctor who's going to deliver the baby. So she said, listen, I might have a little leeway because I used to work for this guy. You know, let's just see what happens. So anyway, the nurse comes back in the room and now she's wearing two of these paper masks on her face. I'm not kidding you. Two of the paper masks and basically a piece of plastic. You ever see that really thin, crappy plastic for like a throwaway picnic table? tablecloth like the little red white checker ones but i'm not talking about with the felt in the back i'm talking about the really thin ones like you'd get for your kid's birthday party okay it's one of those with two holes in it it's basically a lobster bib that hangs down to about mid thigh uh and and shaped like a cooking apron it's all right so it just covers like 
the, the middle eight inches of your chest going down to your mid thigh. And I just start laughing when she comes in. I said, are you shitting me? Like, are you serious? Now, this is about eight, nine o'clock at night on November 12th at this point. And so I, I just, I couldn't believe it. I was just so upset that this would happen. Now, I end up going out in the hallway. They've got a big sticker on the door that says COVID quarantine. And then it's got um, like, uh, you know, the yellow and black striped crime scene tape it's like an orange and uh, black or like a bright red sort of uh, and black all around the border of the door so now we're in covid lockdown uh, of course i could walk in and out of the room anytime i want but we're in covid lockdown and then they say you got to wear the mask when they come in the room i said we're not wearing the mask this is ridiculous we're not doing it if you wear protective wear good luck to you you're protected and i remember saying to the nurse uh, it might have been to the nurse and the doctor, but definitely the one I said, this is like wrapping a piece of tin foil around each wrist and then claiming you could walk through fire without being burned. I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. So anyway, the nurse gets uh, Maggie hooked up to the uh, IV for the sugar water. She gets the antibiotics hooked back up. And at this point, uh, I'm just, I'm broken, right? Because now I'm seeing my wife laying there in a hospital bed with these bags hanging off her. And now you know how it works in the hospital, folks. They've got this dim lighting at first. Of course, they got a big spotlight over her. You know, they're going to blast her with uh, when she starts pushing. But they got the dim lighting. They got the hum of the machines. It's like, me, And then all of a sudden, they've got her hooked up to her uh, blood pressure. So you got the, beep, 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 beep. Beep, boop, beep, beep. Then they tell her that they have to put on the um, baby monitor, which goes around the waist. And then they have another monitor that goes around uh, up above the waist to monitor the contractions. Well, we didn't want the baby monitor. We really just wanted them to do Doppler radar checking with the little handheld. Of course, they said no because of the GBS and because of the way the contractions are. They have to do this. So the next thing you know, you end up with the machines. Beep, beep. So now everybody's looking at the machines. You're addicted to the machines. And so one of the things we learned from our doula in our birthing class was trying to stay away from this stuff because they, they, the doctors and the nurses, will use that every chance they get to try to push more drugs, more intervention. So now it's spiraling. It's spiraling. I'm in uh, hell right now. And all I'm thinking is back to everything I learned in these classes with uh, Alyssa, thank God. God, she was there. So I kept looking to Alyssa, and she was the only one really keeping me calm at this point. And so I've got to see my poor wife there with IV hanging out of her, antibiotics. It's just, it's like I failed. This is how I felt. And then I was just so upset. So the next thing you know, this Dr. Simmons comes in. I think it's S-I-M-O-N-D-S. Mr. Personality, folks. Mr. Personality. Dr. Simmons. And he comes in and he's already pissed off because one, the hospitals don't like when midwives transfer people from home birth. They believe home birth is highly irresponsible. It goes against the Rockefeller medical complex. So they don't like that. So this guy already has a chip on his shoulder. Uh, my midwife already had informed us that this was going to happen. And so then on top of it, he finds out that she is 42 weeks 
weeks and at that time one day pregnant. That really ticks them off because they normally induce women at 40 weeks C-section at uh, 41, right? So he is all ticked off, not having it. He comes in, he tries to lay out the whole fear factor and starts uh, laying out these scenarios. Now, he was aware of the situation we're in. He's aware that we denied the COVID test. So that was a good way to set this up as they kind of got that don't F with these people. Uh, they aren't going to fall for it. Right, And at this point, the nurse had already said, okay, we're going to do the eye ointment, we're doing vitamin K, we're doing the hepatitis shot, and I said, no, you're not, no, you're not, and no, you're not. Okay, you're not doing any of those, not having it, get the hell out of here, right? So I start getting tough with them because you got to push back and let them know that you are not a sucker. All right, so the nurse says, fine, you're not going to do those things, that's fine. So now the doctor's in the room, and he says, here's the situation. And he lays out that, okay, we hear that the contractions are spread apart, so either one, we can do a C-section, right? Uh, number two, we can give her Pitocin. And Pitocin is basically uh, synthetic oxytocin. That's what your body releases to create the contractions. And this way, we could try to get the contractions more regular. We didn't want that stuff, but now we're stuck in this situation, okay? And then the third is the uh, epidural. And the epidural numbs um, you know, the woman from the waist down, a lot of women do it. Uh, we were opposed to all this stuff. That was the plan. We weren't going to do any of this, but now we're in a really bad situation. Maggie's been laboring for 48 hours. Her cervix is swollen. Her uterus is not contracting regularly. Uh, she may be in the midst of an infection, right? So the doctor's looking for an answer right away. So we say, well, listen, bud, uh, we are going to need a few minutes to confer with our midwife and our doula and make a decision. And he gives the old, well, every minute we're wasting is a minute closer to death, you know, something like that. So we get them out of the room and we have a conversation. Now, obviously, in the end, it's up to Maggie. It was always going to be up to Maggie. Okay, I'm there to fight for what our plans were. Uh, we had put together a birth plan. If we went into the hospital, we were losing on things one by one. So now it's like, okay what's next what do we lose on next and at the same time everything that we put into her body is going to be a longer recovery time right so pitocin and the epidural this is all a longer recovery time for her and then you're endangering the child with each of these drugs that you introduce into the body but at the same time if she ends up with an infection if she ends up uh, in a really bad situation, it's going to get forced into C-section, right? So now we're sitting there with the midwife and the doula. And I say, all right, realistically, what do we do? So we get to the point where the, the midwife says, listen, if we do the epidural, okay, it's going to, she won't feel the contractions right now. So it's going to allow her to go to sleep. And we need her to go to sleep. I need her to be able to rest because she's never going to be able to push. If we get to that point, um, she won't be able to push. So we need to put her to, to 
get her to be able to go to sleep. So I say, I knew Maggie's going to say yes, because she looks broken at this point. She says, yeah, let's do that. So I said, well, what's next? So the midwife says, well, I think what we should do is get her to go to sleep and see if the contractions start to uh, build back up. And if they don't, we slowly let them introduce Pitocin into this. At the same time, the nurse takes her temperature and her temperature is starting to rise. Once it gets over 100.5, I believe they will consider that a fever. And if that's the case, then they are going immediately into C-section. You basically lose all options at that point. And if you go into C-section, a cesarean section, if they do that uh, while she has a fever, which they will consider to be uh, an infection, then the baby is going to get taken away and go into isolation where they'll pump it with antibiotics for 48 hours while they run a test on the placenta to see if it had any diseases, any infections, and so you won't see your child, then they threaten us that because we're in COVID lockdown, we won't be able to even see our child for five days because they're going to pump it with antibiotics for 48 hours and then keep it in isolation for three days, right? So now, folks, now everything is on the table because the one thing you're fighting for at this point is being able to keep your child with you, to have your child with mommy, and to not have your child locked in isolation for five days when these monster barbarian Frankenstein doctors could do whatever the hell they want. And then all of a sudden they come back to you in 48 hours and they tell you, I'm sorry, we did everything we could do, sir, but your child is now brain dead. And you go, oh, really? Did the antibiotics you pumped it with do that? No, sir, no. It's because you waited a minute too late to make a decision. They will never tell you the truth, folks. I will always tell you the truth. I'll be right back with more of this horror story. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, so now we've got this idea, right? And so what the midwife ends up telling us is if we go in for a C-section right now, We'll definitely be able to have the baby uh, in our hands and everything's going to be fine, right? So you could do that, right? So you basically give up on everything you're fighting for uh, to get the C-section and then you get to have your baby. Or she says, I do think if she does the epidural, we can get her to go to sleep. See if the contractions pick back up. We can all get a little rest and then we'll make a decision about the Pitocin or C-section. And at the same time, we could monitor this temperature. So we call them back in. And at this point, 
it turns out there's a shift change, which is great. And this nurse, Poppy, comes in, P-O-P-P-Y. She's about 30. I don't know. I can never really tell because she had a mask on. But what a gem she was, folks. And so she just takes care of Maggie like it, it was just frankly amazing. So we decide to go with this option, right? And I'm broken. I'm broken uh, because we're losing. I feel like we're losing because we're giving up everything we wanted to avoid. But at the same time, in my head, it hadn't clicked yet that I could wage a new battle in my mind. And this was to get the baby into the hands of my wife as soon as possible and not lose it. All right. That hadn't come into play with me yet that that was now my mission. And at the same time, trying to let Maggie have a vaginal birth, which would at least be another win. And what I realized later into this process was that her starting to labor at home uh, and not be induced to uh to kick off labor was already a win that was already a win and the fact that she fought for this long without passing out was also a win right so there's a lot of wins in there that you're not thinking about as you're losing other battles so we decide to do that next thing you know they send this uh indian guy into the room who is the anesthesiologist and he is like mr sales guy and he's given the whole pitch which was really informed consent disguised as a comedy routine from this guy i was not amused maggie was kind of loopy and she thought he was the kindest person i was ready to stick him with a pen uh he's like oh hello it's great to be here okay what we're gonna do is we're gonna shove this needle up into your back and we're gonna pump this fentanyl into your back and it's gonna do this it's gonna be so great and blah 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 blah. do you consent right so i'm sitting there and i'm like all right you guys made the decision me and the doula were kind of like didn't think she necessarily needed this her and the midwife were on board i obviously went along because it's my wife and in the end we made you know it was always her decision i always told her stuff going in your body is going to be your decision i'm always going to fight for the health of the baby uh, and you but i ended up going along with it so i i they, they tell you you have to get out of the room for a half hour while they do this right so you're not allowed to do this i mean to see them do it and i was a little pissed about that because you never know what they're up to now i forgot to mention uh prior to this occurring they came in with a consent form they tried to get her to sign a, fo a photography consent form that says you're allowed to take photographs but you can't shoot videos and then it had like eight bullet points and number four Four, it was hidden in there said if you happen to capture video or photo uh, and then there's a lawsuit later you're waiving your right to use any of that footage in uh, as evidence in a trial well first off I knew that that was actually not enforceable because I mentioned before in the show my father is a private investigator for uh, my entire life and he's been involved with many big medical malpractice cases and so I knew you can't sign your rights away that's like going to Costco and in the parking lot there's a sign that says if your car gets hit by a cart we're not responsible well it's just not true it's just to trick people but I told him take that form and stick it up your rear okay and so so 
they were a little pissed about it. I said, I'm not signing it. I don't have to sign it. This isn't a prison here. So we didn't sign it. Well, later on in the night, I found out they snuck into the room when I went out to go get a drink and come back, and they had tried to get Maggie to sign it after they gave her the epidural, which is fentanyl into the spine. Now, they claim it doesn't affect your brain at all, but after not sleeping for two days and then having the fentanyl running through you, who knows what the hell is really going on? So they tried to sneak in there and get her to sign it, and she said, no, uh, my husband already said we're not signing that. And so they were a little pissed off about that folks so anyway this guy does his sales pitch we have to leave the midwife and the doula decide they're going to get something to eat they asked me if i wanted to go i didn't want to go i was still a little upset at that time so um i said to my wife i said you know whatever i don't agree with this but do whatever you're gonna do i'm leaving so i walk out And uh, I went off and actually I had my celebratory cigar with me and I was in such a nervous wreck that I went outside and I smoked part of this celebratory cigar. I was now celebrating being thrown right into the Rockefeller Medical Prison. And I'm just a nervous wreck. I look down at my phone. There's a million texts and stuff from family and friends. Everybody worried. I mean, we literally disappeared on everybody for... At that point, 48 hours, so they're all thinking the worst, you know, but I just couldn't call anyone. I was shaking. I was so mad at myself. I'm trying to run all this through my head. I'm trying to figure out where everything went wrong, and now I'm like, my wife's all drugged up. She's going along with the Rockefeller program. Before you know it, she's going to have a C-section or something. Who the hell knows? And so I go back to the room, and she's in he's all done dr fentanyl's all done and meanwhile i see um what was really pissing me off is all the bags the iv bags the antibiotics the fentanyl they all have barcodes on them and so the nurse carries around a gun like at costco at checkout and she's like they're constantly scanning stuff and putting in for the billing like you know can't you find a more discreet way to do that and why is it got to make a beep like i'm at costco So anyway, they're doing that the whole time. So now I stand over in the bed. I'm holding Maggie's hand. And I said, you know, we can do this. Now I'm trying to be more encouraging. I'm trying not to show that I'm pissed off. And then... um, finally the the midwife and the doula get back and maggie goes to finally falls asleep so they end up taking a nap i'm sitting there just staring at the little beeping machine watching her contractions and watching the baby's heart rate and the midwife showed me how to read it so every time the contraction goes up uh on the on the the graph the baby's heart rate should come back down because it's squeezing the top of its head and so i'm watching it's just a nervous wreck and i'm like oh this is it this is it she's got four contractions in a row a minute apart here we go and then boom it would space back out to seven minutes so now we go about an hour hour and a half and she's well rested Uh, she's got fluids in her she's starting to look better more color coming back to her skin and so nurse poppy comes in and uh we start it was the first time we really got to talk to her and she takes her temperature now her temperature is rising it's getting close it was around 100 i think or 100.3 if it went up 0.2 more that was it they'd call it an infection and she'd be in a c-section so we start talking to poppy and we say all right listen 
Yeah, what could we realistically do? So Poppy says, I can do this. I can get her to deliver this baby. She's like, I want to give her a Tylenol, and I want to um, keep with the IV, with the the, um, sugar water solution. And she goes, and I can get this temperature down, and I think we should introduce the Pitocin, and I'll take it up slowly every half hour, and I can make this happen for you. So I ended up going out in the hallway and talking to her, and I found her to be super professional. And I said, what do you think of Dr. Simmons? And this is this. And she said, listen, he overreacts. I think he's overreacting. If you just trust me, I'll make this happen. I can get her this vaginal birth, and I know we can get this done. I know it's not ideal for you, but now you're in this situation, and the last thing I heard you wanted was to have the kid taken away, so please... Let me just do this. So I came back in the room. I talked to Alyssa Ardula. And when Alyssa agreed, I knew it was the right choice because I told you Alyssa was 100% about natural. Alyssa would tell you to lay out in the parking lot of the hospital and have it on the ground <laughs> to keep yourself out of the hospital. And when Alyssa said, she's beat up, she's tired, and there could be an infection, you have to change plans now. So that's what I did. And um, we ended up slowly introducing the Pitocin, and over a couple-hour period, it turns out that the contractions start now uh, coming together. Everything is starting to look uh, really good. We see that the temperature now starts to drop, and all of a sudden, things start to change for the better folks this was such a major roller coaster ride and i kept going out of the room uh, down the hallway to the area where they had uh, you could get water or like a, a soda and there's a microwave and right there is the nursing station so i got to the nursing stage and i don't even know it was maybe like two three in the morning and the nurses are all sitting there with no masks on and i go oh whoa whoa what is this i'm gonna have to call the police on you i'm gonna have to call the police on you folks uh you you know the cdc is gonna be very upset with you and I came out of COVID lockdown. I'm breaking their balls. They're laughing. They said, oh, nobody really believes that. I said, well, what do you guys even play along with this nonsense for? It's like high school theater. And they're like, I don't know. They tell us it's the law. We have to enforce it. So it's a total joke. So now for several hours, folks, it's like I'm going back and forth in and out of the room. The midwife's taking a nap. Our doula's taking a nap. They're all trying to rest up. I'm coming in the room. I'm watching this this uh, graph go up and down i'm watching the baby's heart rate i start to notice that the baby's heart um, is like peaking now during the contraction which is opposite of what it's supposed to do i now know the nurse is really paying attention because she comes in the room and i said did you see the last two and she said yeah let me check on that so she's checking on it at this point she takes maggie's temperature again and we are golden we are golden it gets back to right in the uh in the range 98 to 98 to 99 degrees and so it's finally a win things are turning around in our direction meanwhile dr simmons is uh nowhere to be found because he doesn't really do anything 
uh, at all while you are sitting there with your wife. This guy doesn't answer any calls, doesn't come around. So what happens next, folks, is things take a turn for the worst again. This is a story about life. This is a story about love. This is a story about sometimes having to be realistic and not idealistic. This is a story about giving up some of the things you want, but remembering what is the most important to you. And this is a story about overcoming adversity, something my father taught me since I was very young when he coached my sports team. So dad, I love you. This show is for you. This show is for Maggie. This show is for William. This show is for all of the people who were part of our incredible team. When I get back, folks, things take a turn for the worst, but we do bounce back. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bounce to a quick break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold and you are listening to Pain. Dot TV slash gold. All right, folks. So the temperature drops, right? And now we end up in this situation where everything is looking great. The contractions are starting to build and come together. And the nurse comes in, Poppy, and she wants to do a vaginal exam on maggie and at this point we were so broken we were so beat down i said okay let's do it because poppy wanted to see if maggie's dilation had changed because if the contractions were picking up but the cervix was infected or not working or not working because of the infection so what we found out from her as well is if an infection gets up into the uterus sometimes the uterus gets tired and it can't fully contract and that might be why the contractions were spreading out and so now the contractions were coming back in but she wanted to make sure the cervix was working otherwise we'd have to go for a c-section so we end up letting her do it. She was nice at this point. Maggie had bonded with her. So she checks and she says, guess what? The cervix is back up to eight and a half from the last one, which was at home, which was seven. And had gotten up to eight and a half, went down to seven. Now it was back. And she said, the swelling is gone. Uh, this is moving in the right direction. And I could feel that the baby is at, it was like position zero in the pelvis. I think it's zero through four. So it was at position zero. And she said, this is great. Let's keep this going. We are winning. This is fantastic. So she ups the Pitocin a little. About every half hour, they up the Pitocin. They can go to a max of, I think, 30 or 40. We only got up to about 20. So she ends up increasing it. Again, now everyone's taking a nap. We get Maggie back to sleep. Everything's looking good. We're just letting the contractions work while Maggie's sleeping because she's numb from the waist down. 
And then uh, about an hour later, Poppy comes back. She says, listen, uh, can I do another one? I just want to see. At this point, boom, Maggie is at nine centimeters. So now everything is working great. But what happens is there's a sign now of meconium. Meconium is when the baby basically takes a little doo-doo crap inside of mommy big problem folks big problem because now the special team called uh, NICU I think it's NICU they get involved and NICU was on our list of things we did not want to deal with but now again folks we face adversity so the way NICU works is they want to be in the room now and they're going to treat the baby as if it's swallowed crap into its lungs uh, or it's about to when it's born so the next thing you know we find out NICU's going to be there and there's nothing I can do about it at this point the midwife says because of the meconium so now Poppy's monitoring the meconium there was nothing else major that ended up coming out but this was really bad okay on top of this the hospital doesn't like when the mom has GBS then you add the meconium and now the hospital goes ah ha ha we have full control over you that's basically what they want so at this point i say to poppy listen we're moving in the right direction she says to me within an hour i think we're going to be ready to push i think we have her there the infection's under control her temperature's down she's dilating uh now we have nick you getting involved i said all right listen let me ask you this we want to keep the umbilical cord connected for 15 minutes she says well dr simmons only allows it for 45 seconds that's his practice so i said well we want it for 15 minutes and i said with well, that's how we always planned it there's all these benefits to it it's part of this book birth without violence that i was reading to you that's what we want we also don't want nick you in the room the other thing is we want her placenta so at this point now the midwife says to me well uh because we were going to turn the placenta either into you can have it encapsulated to turn it into like capsules there's health benefits to it uh you can also chunk it up and then you freeze it and basically put it into like a fruit smoothie and it has benefits and it's good for when you're breastfeeding but my midwife says, look, you don't really want to do that because now she has the drugs in her system, number one. And number two, if there was an infection, it could not be good. I said, well, she wanted a print of it. There's another thing you could do where you basically stick it down on watercolor paper and make a print. Or you sort of pose it with the umbilical cord and you could take a photograph of it. And I said, she wanted it for that. So Maggie at this point is kind of caving. And I said, look, you wanted it. You told me this is what you wanted. And I know you're a little loopy so can i please go to battle and she said yeah you can so i said we want the placenta so poppy says well we got to talk to the doctor about these things i can't make those calls so they bring mr personality back dr simmons and he comes in and he starts giving me the spiel look there's no health benefits uh proven on anything that the baby uh gets anything from leaving the umbilical cord intact for more than 45 seconds i i deliver him uh he won't let you catch him which i was going to do at home but that was something i was willing to give up i wasn't going to go to war over that um i was also going to cut the umbilical cord but that was out the window too that's fine i mean those those are those weren't things that i really needed to do i wanted a healthy boy that we could take home at that point so 
my doula starts battling with him. Alyssa's like, no, there are health benefits. Uh, he says, listen, da-da-da-da-da, and uh, I don't make the call. The pediatrician from uh, NICU makes the call. Da-da-da. I said, oh, I thought you make the call. He said, no, 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 they make the call. I said, okay, well, let us talk to them. I said, the other thing is we want the placenta. He says, well, we take the placenta, we send it down to the lab, we run to run tests on it. I said, no, no, you're not running tests on the placenta. You're going to put it in a bucket for me on ice. It's our placenta. You don't get the placenta so they cave on that they go okay you can have the placenta so i said all right good we're taking the placenta there i won that battle so that was a win folks you got to fight with these people so we win the placenta and then uh, i said okay well we want to talk to the doctors from nicu so finally they bring a doctor up from nicu he i don't know i'm guessing he might have been israeli older gentleman had a mask on hard to tell but he had an accent and he turned out to be really nice and I uh, turned him into an ally and he said to me I understand what you want to do you want to keep the baby with mom all we have to do is make sure with the meconium that it's not going to create an infection I have no problem with leaving the umbilical cord attached for 4 or 5 minutes uh, as long as we don't see a sign of any distress you don't want the baby to inhale it and he explained everything to me and I look at Alyssa and she nods at me and I said okay I trust you because if Alyssa was saying he's correct, then that's all I needed to hear. So I said, okay, that's great. And he goes, I'm going to try to get the baby right back into mom's hands. Uh, you can keep the placenta. Uh, I said, I don't want my baby being taken away or hooked up to antibiotics for 48 hours. He said, okay, well, stay near me when the, the birth is going on. So boom, I had an ally there. I trusted this guy. And so I had him and I had the nurse, Dr. Simmons. I just hated this guy. I thought he was a just a horrible, terrible person. And I will tell anyone that if you are going to give birth in the hospital, avoid this guy. So then um, what happens next, folks, is we're just now waiting. We're waiting for about an hour for the contractions to pick up. Hour comes up. Poppy says, all right, can I do one more vaginal exam? At this point, sure. Do whatever the hell you need to do. You just saved us, and it looks like we're doing a vaginal birth, so you're a hero to us right now. So she does it. She goes, she's at 10 centimeters. Let's give her 30 minutes. Get some sleep, Maggie, because you're going to need to be pushing soon. All right, so now Maggie goes to sleep. We're all sitting there. At this point, I finally put my head back, and I get some rest. I'm not pissed anymore. Uh, I'm just getting ready for the battle that I'm going to have to wage on these people when the NICU team comes in, and they're going to want to manhandle the kid, and i got to be ready to block the door. At this point, I'm talking to my midwife because I'm still kind of mad at her thinking that some of this was their fault for not being able to deliver the baby at home and I'm saying crazy shit to her like, you know, this this doctor I'm going to knock him on his ass <laughs> all this stuff I'm trying to do without Maggie hearing me because I don't want to create any stress for her, but I'm really getting alpha, getting pissed off about this and all I'm trying to do is manage this stuff so the baby doesn't get taken away for the GBS and for the meconium and how I'm going 
going to stop these guys, and I'm plotting to pull a John Q and uh, lock everyone in the room and tell them to sit down, sit down, and shut up. Give me my child. And I figured I'd run out of there with the baby, get it safe, and then come back for Maggie later. Uh, I told her this, so it's fine. But uh, no, so anyway, we go to sleep, man. We go to sleep for about a half hour, and then Poppy comes in the room, and she's like, all right, look at the contractions. They are rocking and rolling. Are you guys ready to move forward with this? We need to get pushing. So she says to Maggie, look, it's 545. My shift changes at 7. We need to get this baby out before then. Are you ready to push, folks? And I'm ready to push over to a short break. When I get back, we're going to finish up this story because there's many more battles that I had to wage in this horrible Rockefeller medical complex system. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and this is pain.tv slash gold, folks. All right. All right. So we're getting to the happy part of this story, right? So now Poppy and Alyssa and Chris, you know, our midwife and myself are now helping Maggie push. And Chris has got her flip-flopping all over on the bed, different positions. I'm holding her hand. Her face is like her veins are popping out of her head. And she's just pushing and she's pushing and we were doing three pushes per contraction break for about 60 seconds three pushes per contraction and we got it rocking and rolling i'm taking pictures and uh now it's getting to be a happy time folks maggie looks like not in pain she looked like she was working out at the gym because she works out hard and so i'm like all right this is like working out at the gym on top of it she's still on the epidural so she can't really feel anything although she wasn't cranking up the epidural with the remote they give you uh kind of like uh in the movies when people are on uh, uh, morphine and you could press the button well she wasn't cranking it up so she was feeling it and she's pushing and she's pushing and she's pushing and the next thing you know poppy takes the spotlight it wasn't on we kept it dark in the room i had these little led candles i brought because you can't have real candles which i had set up in the house so i had led candles and i had a photo of maggie and her grandma on the table her grandma had given birth to her mom at home so Maggie wanted this picture of her grandma in the house, and we had it. And so I brought it with us, and I had it set up there for her with the candles. And uh, it was as good as it could be, folks. It was as good as it could be in the situation we were in. And so now I'm, I'm taking some pictures because I knew she'd want some uh, and switching positions with my midwife and our doula and, 
and it, everything's going great. And so then they put this, uh, Maggie wanted this bar to do these squats. At first, they're like, oh, you can't do squats in the epidural, with the epidural. And Maggie's like, yes, I can. And my midwife goes, well, what about the, the squat bar? So they put the squat bar up on the bed. And the next thing you know, Maggie's pushing with the squat bar. And then we're flip-flopping her into other positions. And before you know it... Um, you know, Poppy does another vaginal exam and she goes, oh my God, the head is, you know, just a knuckle away, one knuckle uh, away and you can start to see it. And I told this the other day, but they set up a mirror and they said, Maggie, do you want a mirror so you can see? And seriously, folks, I was thinking she doesn't want to see this. Oh my God. Uh, but she wanted to see and she saw this half dollar size, um, uh, you know, black hair. And it was just like her face lit up. And she said, Oh my God. Oh my God. Because two weeks earlier, she had a dream, uh, that it was a boy with a full head of black hair. And two days later, she had the same dream. It was a boy with a full head of black hair. So she sees it. Now we don't know if it's a boy or a girl at this point. Um, but she sees it and she goes, Oh my God. And she just starts pushing and pushing and pushing. And then before you know it, it's like starting to crown. And so now Dr. Uh, personality comes into the room. You know, he's got to come in and earn his money for the six minutes that he uh, shows up and he's got to be pissed out of his mind. Cause he would have loved to do a C-section in the very beginning. Of course we beat him and didn't have to do that. But imagine if we did the C-section and they ended up taking the kid away from us uh no we beat him and she beat him and she beat the system so he comes in and then they got the NICU team all on the other side near the little the baby hospital bed with the bright light where they're going to torture my child um it looks like i told you like a midget operating table and so anyway the baby starts crowning at this point uh i got the midwife and the doula are helping her and i'm taking some pictures and stuff and of course, I turn on the video in case something goes wrong. I could sue these guys. And the next thing you know, uh, baby just comes out. The doctor takes it. He's got it in his hands. Umbilical cord's still attached. I'm waiting. And I've got the, the NICU uh, doctor, the pediatrician near me. And he's the one who promised me they wouldn't do it unless they had to. They wouldn't cut the umbilical cord unless they had to. So the baby starts turning like a gray. It's having a little trouble breathing. The doctor gives me the nod. Alyssa's standing there. I turn to her. She gives me the nod, which meant, you know, it has to be done. And it was okay. It was, hey, look, you're making decisions in the heat of the moment, and you're weighing risks in real time. It's like the matrix code flashing through your head with only two hours of sleep over almost three days. And and so um, they cut the cord. The pediatrician grabs it, rushes it over to the table, and he starts with uh, this hose, and he's pushing it down in the baby's mouth trying to suck everything out. Now, this is a safety procedure with the meconium, okay? They're trying to make sure the baby doesn't swallow uh, feces. So, you know, I understand some of this had to be done. But that, I think it was literally two minutes, but it felt like an hour because i don't know what's going on no one's talking to me now the doctor kept turning to me as he's vacuuming william's lungs and he says uh 
he keeps nodding to me like everything is okay. Everything is okay. Uh, oh, and then mind you, I did see his uh, balls fall down. So I said, it's a boy. That was the one thing I got to do. I was so shocked, though, because I thought it was going to be a girl. I never said whether I thought it was going to be a boy or a girl publicly, but I thought it was going to be a girl. And so, uh, so I said, it's a boy. And then the doctor takes him. So now he just looking. And this two minutes, I kept turning to Maggie, and I had like, fear and like tears in my eyes because i wasn't sure what was going on she was sitting there now at this point dr uh, smiley there dr simmons he's uh putting a couple a couple sutures in she had slight tears nothing major actually it was pretty amazing for the fact that this kid was 21 and a half inches a couple inches above the norm and he was uh nine and a quarter pounds uh so he was pretty big he was cooking in there for almost an extra two and a half weeks so i'm turning to her and our faces are connected and like i had this i didn't know i was about to cry but i'm trying to remain strong and she looks like she's about to cry and the next thing you know the doctor turns to me i see the color come back into william and he's turning pink now they naturally do turn a little blue because when they first come out the blood rushes into their lungs into their brain so it's not in their body now Part of keeping the umbilical cord attached are two parts. It's twofold. One, it allows the blood to continue to flow. And a lot of people would, in home birth like to leave it until the placenta actually comes out of the body. Um, and then the other thing is it's still providing oxygen to the lungs for the baby until it's learning how to breathe in the first few minutes. So he didn't have that attached to him. So the doctor turns to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder. This is the Israeli guy. I think he was Israeli. And he said, everything's okay. I'm going to keep the baby with mom, and we'll just monitor it for the next hour. And I had this sigh of relief uh, flush through my body. And he brings it over, and he puts it, uh, William, on my wife's chest. And it was amazing. All right. So now for the next hour, they're cleaning up. They bring me the placenta in a bucket of ice. And um, and it was great. And so I hug Alyssa and I told her we couldn't believe it. She was with us for 58 uh, hours almost. No, she was with us for 54 hours. And I hugged Chris and I told her, I'm sorry. I snapped at you a couple times. Uh, I thank you very much. You did a fantastic job. We couldn't have done it without you. Um, they end up leaving. And now Alyssa told me before she left, whatever you do, do not let them take the baby away. Like, this is your time. This is where you're going to have to battle. This is where things are really going to get tough. And she's like, but I got to get home to my kids. I said, no, I understand. You went above and beyond your call of duty. And I couldn't have done it without you. Maggie couldn't have done it without you. And William is here because of you. And everything we learned from you and everything you've done for us. So they leave. And the next thing you know, they're cleaning up the hospital room. Maggie's got a tight grip on William. <laughs> he's already starting to latch on her boob. And he's looking healthy. And this nurse, Rebecca, comes in. We get introduced to Rebecca, this new nurse. And Rebecca says, uh, no, Nick, you cleared the baby. You guys are all safe. We're going to move you to the family recovery area. And, folks, this is where things get really 
crazy inside the Rockefeller nuthouse. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you all about it when I get back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. You are listening to pain.tv slash gold. All right, folks. So now they take our little boy and they put him in a uh, like a plastic little crib, like a tub on top of a wheelie cart. They wouldn't let me carry it or my wife carry it. That could be dangerous. And they put her in a wheelchair. And so they move us down into like the family recovery area and they put us in a room. And so we're sitting there and they uh, bring her this crappy hospital breakfast. It's like a prison breakfast. And she's like, I can't eat this. Can you get me something else? And I said, listen, I'll get you whatever you want, but I need to know 100% that NICU's called off and they're not going to try to come and take him away. Uh, like if his temperature goes up or something. So Rebecca, the nurse, tells us he's safe. NICU isn't going to come and take him. The pediatrician's going to keep an eye as she takes his vitals. They're going to go down um, to uh, you know to the uh, pediatrician, and that everything should be fine. And so now Maggie's recovering. She's starting to get up on her feet. The epidural's wearing off. Uh, and so I just want to make sure everything's okay. And so I said, all right, listen, I'll go, uh, home. I've got to bring the placenta home cause it's on ice. All right. I don't want this placenta rotting. I will do the print and I will take the photographs of it and then I'll put it in the freezer. Cause what we're going to do when we get our property, um, obviously we won't be able to do it at the one in Poland cause they're not going to let me travel with a placenta, but if they get this property in West Virginia in the next couple of years, we'll dig a hole in the ground and plant a tree with it. So, which some people do. So I said, let me go do that. And then I'm going to pick you up, um, Sumitra, which is our favorite Thai restaurant in Frederick. Oh, man, fantastic restaurant. You got to have their Fantasia duck, folks, or their duck wrap or their chai dumplings, their drunken noodles, their um, soups are all amazing. So I said they open at 10 o'clock. I will get that and I'll bring that back here. And then we'll figure out what we're going to do, and we'll see what the doctors say. So I said, but you have to promise me, Maggie, because now she's calmed down. The drugs wore off. She's totally fine. I said, you have to promise me, honey, that if they come in here and try to take them, you call um, call me immediately, immediately, and do not let them take our child away. She said, no, I understand. I will do that. I said, all right. I am going to leave. I did not want to leave, folks. I did not want to leave. So I left, okay? 
and I uh, went home and I took this placenta out. I swear, in normal circumstances, I'd be a little freaked out, but it came out of my wife and it wasn't weird at all. And I lay it down on uh, some watercolor paper and I do a couple of prints with it. And then I line it up. I take the umbilical cord. It wasn't real long. He cut it kind of short. And I make it into a heart shape, which is kind of what she wanted. And I take some nice photographs of it. I talk to my father, tell him everything is okay. Uh, Yeah, and actually earlier in the night, I forgot to say that, I finally, once I knew that Maggie was going to be okay and the baby was going to be okay, I called my mother and I said, can you call everyone in the family and let them know everything's okay because I know everyone's worried. So I got that out of the way. So anyway, I called my father, told him everything was great. I called Maria Albanese, I think, in there because she's always there to support me. Uh, She's one of the best friends anyone could ever have in this world. Uh, really amazing woman. Um, she just actually ordered something for William, a little swing uh, type of swing chair that she's having sent here. And she has all the homeschool curriculum that her kids used that she is going to give us. So this spring, we're going to take a road trip down to Florida and visit her. So William can meet his Auntie Maria and her family. Auntie Maria and Uncle Nick, William says hi. So, uh, Anyway, I I get this done at the house, and then I go to Sumitra. I pick up the uh, Thai food. Maggie calls me, and she tells me, hey, you know, the doctor, the pediatrician came in. He said he wants William to stay here till 7 o'clock in the morning at least, but then he changes shifts, and he can't guarantee that the next pediatrician isn't going to want to keep him there longer. I'm feeling good. I'm getting up and going to the bathroom by myself. You know, bleeding is very minimum. Uh, I feel totally fine. I, th- I think maybe I want to get out of here. And I said, all right, listen, stay put. I'm going to be back. I'm going to get the food. And so I go get the food. I go back to the hospital, back into COVID land, the uh, high school theater production uh, with my little mask on that I tore a hole in, by the way. I was walking around the hallway with the mouth torn out of this thing. And no one said a word to me. It was a complete and total joke. So I go back to the family center. In this room, they had us quarantined, too, with the tape all over the doors because we wouldn't do the uh, COVID test. So at this point, I think it was uh, Maggie said to me, I didn't want to tell you this last night because you were kind of mad and I didn't want you to get in a fight with anybody, but they sent a nurse in when you were out of the room and asked how things were at home sort of implying that I abused her and she was some sort of a uh, Polish mail order bride uh, right after the situation happened where I told them we weren't taking the COVID testing and they were asking her about that why he wouldn't let you take a COVID test as if I was some kind of abuser and they said well he answers all the questions he, and she said well he speaks for both of us like we had a plan so this is the part of where they try to split up families and turn people against each other and then If they can get the spouse out of the room, whether that be the husband or the wife, say your husband's in there for surgery and he's a little loopy, and then they get you, the wife, thrown out of the room, they could put all kinds of drugs into him because he's going to nod his head. Oh, yeah, give me the double uh, Motrin. Give me this. Give me the morphine because he has no idea what's going on. Same thing they were going to try to do to her. They tried offering her at least four or five other drugs. Like there was one point when she had nausea and she puked, and that was just because... 
I think the infection, she couldn't hold anything down. They said, oh, do you want uh, this drug for nausea? It might cause a little headache, so we can give you this drug. And then as soon as the epidural's coming down, they said, oh, you might get a headache from that. We can give you these drugs to counteract that, right? So you'll start piling drugs on top of drugs on top of drugs, folks. This is just how these people work. They're drug dealers. And so... Anyway, I get back to the hospital. I set up all the food. I bought like $75 worth of Thai food. I laid out a whole spread, all her favorite things from the restaurant. And uh, we sat there and ate all this food while William was taking a nap. And it was just, uh, it was beautiful. So Rebecca comes back in the room and I said, hey, Rebecca, I think we want to get out of here. And Rebecca says to us, well, that would not be advised. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, if you leave outside of the doctor's orders, your insurance company most likely won't pay the bill for this visit. I said, oh, really? That's funny, because I read that before, and it's not true. And she said, oh, oh, as far as we know, that's true. I said, all right, well, let me talk to the doctors. And she said, well, Dr. Simmons wants to hold Maggie here for a couple of days. And I said, well, why? Is something wrong? Because now they don't have Maggie hooked up to any machines. They don't have her hooked up to blood pressure machine or blood oxygen machine. Nothing, right? So I said, well, what's wrong? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then Dr., uh, I think it was uh, Feinstein, the pediatrician, wants to hold William until at least 7 in the morning, but maybe a couple of days, right? So I said, uh, no, I don't think so. I said, why don't you get the doctors here so I could talk to them? She said, well, they're not going to come here and talk to you. I said, well, then there's clearly no emergency. I said, can you get them on the phone for me? So she says, okay. So she calls doctor. Now, I was well aware of this situation because I learned it in our birth class with doula. If you start messing around with trying to change the doctor's rules when it comes to your kid, they will threaten to call CPS on you, Child Protective Services. So I was prepared for that. But I was also told that generally they don't do it, okay, unless there's some real medical emergency. Like if they knew that your kid had brain damage and you were trying to run out the door with it, then they would probably call CPS. Now, I will tell you, uh, when they were transferring us from the hospital room over to the recovery room, they took out this little ankle monitor and strapped it on William, like literally a prison ankle monitor okay and then they give you this whole spiel that it's to protect him from getting stolen from people in the hospital i said really you have a problem where like people run into the room and steal the baby from the mom and dad and run away with it and she literally said the nurse said uh oh you'd be surprised i said wow that's amazing like people steal babies and so they put this uh, prison ankle monitor on them and so i said no we don't we don't want that that's ridiculous uh at first we didn't really i thought it was like um some kind of a monitor for vitals and i said i don't want that on my kid i don't want that thing on there and then when she explained that it was for security I'm like you've got to be freaking kidding me like this is outrageous anyway i took a look at the thing and i would have been able to cut it off anyway so um 
I said to myself, well, do I want to put up a fight here? And so at first I started to argue, but then I could see that, you know, Maggie at that time, she was still sort of recovering. So I decided not to pick a fight because I went up and looked at it. I'm like, oh, I could cut that thing off in two seconds. So anyway, we're back in this uh, family recovery room and and uh rebecca she gets dr feinstein on the line immediately amazing these doctors get on the line when you're ready to leave and cut off the insurance money they're going to make off of you because every day you stay there between the baby and the mom they're probably raking in at least twenty thirty thousand dollars so uh so i said uh, hey uh dr uh feinstein i think i'm pretty sure i said so maggie said you want to keep william here till seven and he said well yes i'd like to keep him here till seven in the morning and then it's a shift change and the next doctor may uh want to keep him here longer i said okay well what's wrong right because you you have to figure out when to ask the the questions and what questions so first you butter him up oh hey maggie said you want to keep him here till seven that sounds good to me doc oh yeah i do i do you know then i said well what's wrong with him well, nothing's wrong with him, but we'd like to monitor him uh, just in case. It's precautionary. I said, okay, precautionary in regards to what? Like, Nick, you already uh, cleared him. GBS isn't an issue. The meconium's not an issue. Well, because of the GBS, we'd like to monitor him a little longer. Okay, well, what happens at 7, Doc, when the next doctor comes in, because it already sounds like a setup, and he says he wants to keep him here for a month? Uh, what's going to happen there? Well, you know, I just can't guarantee the next doctor is going to want to release him. I said, all right, well, I'm going to talk to Dr. Simmons about Maggie's situation. And if you're, he tells me the same thing you tell me about the baby, he tells me about her, then we're going to get out of here. He goes, well, I, I advise against that. You know, the insurance company uh, might, might not pay your bill. And I said, okay, yep. I already know that's a lie, but thank you very much, doctor. I will probably never hear from or see you again folks you will hear from me and you will see me again if you're over here at pain.tv slash gold because i will be right back right here on pain.tv slash gold my name is dustin gold and this is the dustin gold standard you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.TV. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Ping.TV slash gold. All right, so now Rebecca gets Dr. Simmons on the phone almost immediately, folks. Really, these guys don't mess around. So, uh, Dr. Simmons, I go, hey, Doc. Now, this guy already knew I did not like him, folks. They knew I was trouble there at that hospital. So I said, listen, uh, Maggie uh, said you might want to hold her for like two days or something. He goes, well, yeah, I'm thinking two, three, maybe four days just to keep an eye on her. I said, well keep an eye on her what's wrong like is there anything wrong and he says to me yeah it's precautionary i said well what does that mean doc tell me something like she has blood clots tell me something like she has internal bleeding 
tell me something horrible's going on because she's going to the bathroom by herself very little bleeding she's totally fine she wants to go home with the baby and he says to me well well look this isn't your typical home birth all right she just did a vaginal delivery here in the hospital i said okay under the best care right well at home it's by midwives that you don't like so wouldn't that be a worse situation and when you're at home you stay home right you don't go from home and then into the hospital and he goes well listen i think she should stay here i'd like to keep an eye i said well how much do you make per day for keeping her locked here And so he eventually, I said, listen, tell me the truth. Is there a real reason? Give me a medical reason. She needs to be here and I'll let her stay. Well, you know, I advise you against it. I said, okay, whatever. And he slips in there. Oh, your insurance company might not pay for the visit. I said, this is a total lie. So I hang up with him. But now they've got Maggie a little bit nervous on the insurance thing, right? So I... uh, text my doula Alyssa. i said Alyssa, this is what they're saying she goes no that's a lie it's an old trick they've been doing that forever i go online i do some research i go on blue cross uh website i start doing research nothing even about that all right so i knew like i said to maggie you leaving early saves the insurance company money all right the only thing the hospital's doing is one trying to bilk you for more money and two for liability purposes if something happened to you at home and they let you leave but again if it's super dangerous they're going to have a reason and if not they're going to try to restrain you they're going to try to call cps on you with your child and try to get it to stay and say you're an irresponsible parent that's how the system works folks so they didn't even go to that threat which told me there was nothing to worry about so i said to rebecca we're getting out of here uh, we don't have to worry about the insurance. That's a lie. I said, I'll send you this article. Uh, it was a study done by AMA, who's not our friend, American Medical Association, that actually says that there's doctors that train the nurses to say that, and the nurses truly believe it, even though it's not true, right? So I said, we're leaving. She goes, okay, well, I'm going to need you to sign these against medical advice, these AMA um, documents. So I said, all right, we'll sign whatever. So I figure if it's real dangerous, right, they're going to come back with a custom written order by each doctor. It says, William should not leave because he has uh, this, he has that. There was a G, uh, GBS, there was meconium. Uh, you figure with Maggie, it would say, well, she had an epidural, she had Pitocin, she might have had an infection, we want to monitor her. No, they come back with two identical forms, one for William and one for Maggie. That's just a liability form, one page. It says, we're leaving against medical advice, basically. So we sign those, and then uh, I talked to a lady down in the front or whatever, and they're going to give you this... Uh, certificate of live birth it's actually like uh it's not the birth certificate but it's proof that the baby was uh born right so i talked to her and she says to me okay we're gonna get the social security number i said i don't want the social security number she goes oh well then we can't give you a birth certificate i said okay you're gonna just give me the form that has the information on it but i don't want the social security number this is the same way i was going to do it through the midwives uh this is your right, folks. You don't have to get a Social Security number for your kid, just so you know this. Now, at some point, your kid may want one or need one, 
Okay, you can always get one from the Social Security Department. But if we, let's say, decide to live in uh, Poland or whatever, if that decide in the next couple of years, if we decide that's going to be our home, why should I tag my kid with the Social Security number, which really comes back all the way to the Technocracy Incorporated documents with the number they were uh, setting up to assign people under the energy certificate system of government, which was written about 1933, and then we started giving out Social Security numbers in 1936 under FDR, and I told you in future, uh, and sorry, in past episodes, that FDR's New Deal, I believe, was the beginning of implementing technocracy policy, so... I didn't want the social security number. So anyway, I end up telling them, uh, we don't want that. So they end up sending us up the certificate. There was like proof of birth. Didn't have to get the social security number. And uh, we pack up the stuff. As soon as you sign those forms, that nurse Rebecca is like ready to rock and roll. Because it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I said to Rebecca, all right, we talked to the doctors. What we're going to do is we're going to wait two more hours till it gets dark. I want to see if Maggie or William gets sick because darkness sometimes brings sickness. And that way, if they don't, I'll be real comfortable on scooping them up and getting them out of here. And so she goes, no, let's do it right now before my shift change ends. That's how fast it works once you say you're going to leave. And I think in part was because Rebecca, I don't know this for sure, but I think Rebecca knew that we really wanted to get out of there. Rebecca knew that there was nothing wrong with Maggie and nothing wrong with the baby. And if a shift change came and they got a more difficult nurse in there or the doctors tried to hold us there or call CPS or something, Rebecca kind of whisked us out of there. So we loaded up the carts. We got the hell out of there. So William was born at 7, 12 a.m. And I got Maggie and him out of the hospital by 4. We could have been stuck there for days if I didn't know our rights, if I didn't know how to weigh risk uh, and all of these other things. So a couple of days ago, I went down to the Frederick Health Department. I brought that piece of paper and I got him a birth certificate without having to get a social security number. So he's not stamped with the mark of the beast yet, ladies and gentlemen. He is a free man and we are happy. Maggie is so uh, proud of herself for having gone into labor on her own, for having fought it out here for almost 48 hours, for giving vaginal birth at the hospital, and for us getting our baby out of there with it, without it being taken away. So, again, this is a story of adversity, uh, overcoming adversity, having to change course, having to weigh risk in real time. But having to be well-researched and well-educated on these topics, understanding your patient rights, understanding informed consent, building a team of folks around you who can give you advice, people that are not just yes men or no men, but people who have different opinions, different experiences, different skills. And that's what we did. And because we did that, we ended up where we are today, where we have our heads held high. We lost some battles, but we won the biggest battle of all. Maggie is upstairs. She is healthy. William is healthy. 
He is breastfeeding, I don't know, 12 times a day. This kid wants to be seven feet tall, I think. But we're lucky that he latches. Uh, he loves to drink. I call it the boob fay, the two-for-one special, because he likes each one for, like, a long time, folks. He's just hogging those breasts, ladies and gentlemen. But, no, it, it's great. And uh, we've made a lot of friends throughout this process. And I have to tell you, uh, between my sister's friends uh, that I became friends with when I first moved here to Frederick, to all the people I met working in and out of the grocery stores when I was doing gig work here for the first year and a half, uh, friends I made in the stores, friends I made through Instacart, uh, through the farms that we buy food from, the people that we made friends with through there, through the YMCA, the old folks that we're friends with, through our midwifery team, through some of the clients of the midwives and people we met in our birth class to people we met through our doula it has been such an amazing experience and then being able to start this show uh, a few months ago and seeing hundreds of emails come pouring in during this process it was the most humbling experience of my life that in just uh less than two years folks i went from being in a divorce leaving our business to my ex-wife, walking away with almost nothing just to get my freedom, moving from Tennessee to Maryland, having the support of uh, my family, obviously, but then meeting someone new and building a whole community of people around us who were there to support us and to uh, cheer us on and people that we've gone hiking and camping with and just building a big network. It's the most amazing feeling in the world. And thank you to all of you for listening to me blab about technocracy and transhumanism and natural life and living one foot in and one foot out of the matrix and telling this story, sharing my personal experiences with you so I can hopefully help you make better decisions for yourself so that you can start to figure out how to insulate yourself from this terrible prison planet matrix system we find ourselves in folks but there is hope i am someone who was able to turn my situation around i don't give up i always fight i will overcome adversity every single time and i know you will too the situation that we face in the coming years with technocracy and transhumanism and central bank digital currency and the great reset and the fourth industrial revolution and the new world order and all of this stuff that we face you can overcome it just like i can overcome it i know you can you wouldn't be listening to this show if you could not overcome it you are seeking the truth that is the first step in this process and now it's being open and honest with yourself looking yourself in the mirror, writing down your current list of options, and then deciding which of those you need to go to work on to turn those options into better options. That's how we approached this midwife home birth process. And in the end, you see, it wasn't exactly what we wanted. But because Maggie and I researched and we educated ourselves and we planned and we surrounded ourselves with intelligent people, like-minded folks 
who weren't going to just tell us yes, but sometimes tell us no, when we were facing these difficult decisions, we ended up in a position where we won. We won because we have a healthy little boy. We won because we now have a family. We won because we love each other and we got through this. And I know as we move forward into this technocracy, we can get through this. We're going to be talking a lot about solutions on this show. We have to overcome this adversity. We must never give up. We must never let these bad guys win. We will remain free. We will remain prosperous. We will remain natural. And we will remain human. Never, ever let these people win because they want to engineer humanity out of existence ladies and gentlemen i thank you very much for listening to this Uh, i wasn't sure how i was going to present this information it's all very personal to me but eventually my son will listen to this show so i told the truth i was transparent and i hope you got something out of this ladies and gentlemen good luck fighting the rockefeller medical complex we survived i know you can too i love you all i love my son william and i love my wife Magdalena. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion. at pain.tv slash gold.